I want to start this episode with a shout out for my friend M. Uh, again, I feel like we I talk about her all the time. Um, but the theme of ecofeminists came from her because uh, she's taking an ecofeminism class. And I was like, hey, we have a show on Earth Day. We should do some ecofeminists. And so M sent me like a bunch of a bunch of ladies to maybe cover. I'm covering one. We'll cover some more later. So thanks, M, for this idea and for all the ladies. Thanks, M. Okay. Maybe we talked about personal. Disability community needs to use straws for a whole host of reasons. Yes. So they should be Take available. your medication, like. But that doesn't mean everyone in the world gets a pass to use them. Yes. And it doesn't mean companies shouldn't be working harder to make more sustainable exactly. straw options for people with disabilities. And I even have friends in the disability community who purposely buy and bring their own straws around and not everyone can afford to do that but like you know there are yep. alternatives the companies like big fast food oh, chain I, stuff need to get behind to therapy, these companies that I are building those talked sustainable a stuff. lot about this because my medication is in the plastic bottles oh don't get me started now <laughs> it's like my vitamins started. and supplements I pay a little bit more for the glass bottles and it's something I use it now for propagating plants do you know why I stopped taking a lot of my supplements because they come in no let's see take out. care of yourself I know this B12 comes in fucking plastic I'm still yeah. taking it anyway I, I got the whole foods one that comes in glass but it's like more money that once I have my income I don't know if I can pay for it this modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History. The good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Hey Lexi, what's your hottest sustainability take? Oh, you know, you're, you're panning for an answer here. I hate when vegetarians and vegans say they're doing it for sustainability, and then turn around and take a plastic fork at South Block. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> and Haley, what's the hardest thing you've done in the name of eco-friendliness? Definitely a uh, cut down on my fast food. And I'm Alana, and just because the corporations are doing most of the polluting doesn't mean you should leave your lights on. Sustainable plug here. Get the app good on you. You'll see Emma Watson. I think she's an ambassador or helped like make it or something. You can search brands and then it tells you like a rating. So for Gap, I love Gap jeans. They never fail me. And they say like, it's a start. So you can like favorite it and keep it in your back pocket. The ratings for good on you go for labor, environment, animal, and then also have a blurb on why. But I Cute. love that they included labor and like wage nice. equality. As a we way to, to see say it. sustainability, because it's often overlooked. I have a quick, before we hop into the stories, yes. so that I can obligatory post oh, a thing. absolutely. I would like to thank my grandma for being a weird science teacher. She listens to the show, so I'm going to say weird as a compliment here. Hi, grandmother. Grandma. Hi, Grammy. I would like to thank her for turning me into a weird environmentalist. We had a song that we used to listen to in the car, a whole album, actually. It included the Habitat song, which I believe I've referenced on the show before, possibly in the zoology episode. Habitat, Habitat, have to have a Habitat. <laughs> but there was also Styrofoam, Styrofoam, about how horrible Styrofoam is. And I can't fathom that I am 
almost 25 and our nation still has not banned styrofoam even though when I was two I could sing every word to styrofoam styrofoam (laughs) but anyway context she was a middle school science teacher and she one time she might have done this several times but I know for a fact one time she had each of the kids make a square for a quilt that was an Earth Day quilt for the school's Earth Day celebration because they had an Earth Day celebration every year and this was in the early heyday of Earth Day you know the first few decades of Earth Day was like really the heyday and I think that's adorable and she was in the local paper and I have the picture and I'm going to put it on our socials she was in the local paper posing with the quilt of the sustainability things that all the kiddos came up with to put on the quilt and that's so cute. I need to manifest something. Yeah. Okay. Because speaking of styrofoam, I got, I hopped on the train of like the indoor bike for working mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. and it came wrapped in styrofoam and oh, I would have picked like a different bike and even probably paid a little more money if I knew it was wrapped in styrofoam. I want websites to tell me how they package like if they come oh, cardboard, if like their idea. styrofoam bits were not the styrofoam that stays in landfill for forever and fuck with my brain. But there's the, literally like water potato, soluble equipment. Yes. The potato cornstarch ones. Lush uses the same peanuts like that are like the ones that are made of styrofoam, but there's are yes. you put them in water and they dissolve. So I, I think Lush actually like markets that, like markets their sustainability with their packaging and everything. Mm-hmm. But a lot of brands will just like, when it comes, even Amazon has started doing this, being like, this is recyclable. Well, honey, let me tell you one thing. If you want to be sustainable, stop shopping at Amazon. That's a bad example, but I noticed it with their like, has been from day one. I haven't shopped on Amazon since before this podcast started. Wow. Yeah, I haven't. Jeff Bezos doing the least. The least possible. It makes me mad that people think Jeff Bezos is like, a decent human being. I found out my mom's like really into the stock market right now. And I found out that she's invested in oil and she doesn't understand what greenwashing is, but she's like, oh, but the oil companies have pledged to do this within the next five years. And I'm like, so many companies make themselves sound sustainable, but aren't sustainable. So many literally like organizations that are like huge corporate conglomerates are like, we're sustainable. They're lying to you. In recent years, the development of remarkably effective economic poisons, or pesticides, has increased man's advantage in his war on pests. Today, pesticides are used in more situations and for a wider variety of purposes than ever before. Production of the basic chemicals in the United States alone is over 500 million pounds per year. Every person is exposed one way or another. Modern pesticides are easy to use, Highly effective, deadly poisonous to insects and rodents, but what about people? I decided to cover Rachel Carson because she's a lady from my home state. I believe she's the first lady from my home state I've covered, but someone correct me if I'm wrong. And my grandma and her both went to the same college. And I first learned about her from my grandmother, who, like I just mentioned, was very into the environment as a middle school science teacher. So I just felt like this connection really made sense. So that's why I'm talking about Rachel, even though it might be a little basic, quote unquote. Rachel was born in Springsdale, Pennsylvania, which is about 10 to 12 miles north of the city of Pittsburgh. And Rachel started writing as a kid. It was her hobby and it was something she loved to do. At 11 years old, she won a story contest in a famous children's magazine and her story got published and she won a cash prize. 
She succeeded in high school and earned a scholarship to attend Chatham University, which at the time was simply called Pennsylvania College for Women. Real original. <laughs> Love to hear it. Thank God its name has changed. It is still an all-women's university to this day. Fun fact. And Rachel really wanted to be a teacher, so she decided to study English in college. She ended up changing her major to biology because she really liked the professor that taught her intro, like, gen ed bio class. This is a huge, huge deal because the Pennsylvania College for Women at the time only had two other biology majors, making her the third. So she was, like, going from a really common thing, like, a lot of women at the school wanted to be teachers, to, like, a really weird little niche. And her professor really inspired her. Side note, huge mood because shout outs to Dr. Susan Johnston, whose intro to archaeology class has shaped my current existence. I should have taken intro with her. Should have taken intro with her. I'm surprised you even ended up an archaeologist without that. Uh, I mean, that's why I'm here. I well, was an anthropologist. Haley, Haley uh, took me to meet Dr. Eric H. Klein. And unlike every other archaeologist I know, I wasn't like obsessed with Egypt as a child. I liked Egypt. Don't get me wrong. I liked many things. But I are wasn't, you like, obsessed are you with even Egypt? a bisexual if you weren't obsessed with no, Egypt? No, I liked it, but I preferred dinosaurs. That's pretty bisexual. <laughs> so, you know, we all have our things. But Susan Johnson showed me how anthropological archaeology can be. And I was like, I love history. I love anthropology. Put them together. Juicy. And that's why I'm anthropologist anthropological archaeologist not a treasure hunter thank you for coming to my ted talk anyway in 1929 rachel graduated with honors and spent the summer studying at the woods hall marine biological laboratory and so she really got into like marine sciences she could have been in a marine science ladies episode but if we do that we'll have, I'll have to pick someone else she then earned a scholarship to study for her master's S degree side eyes emoji <laughs> yeah like will we do that episode um she then earned a scholarship to study for her master's degree at john hopkins university where she re received an ma in zoology i even double checked that because i was like a master's of arts in zoology apparently at the time that is how it was it was a master's of arts in zoology so okay weird but chill and she earned that in 1932 her thesis was titled The Development of the Pronophorus During the Embryotic and Early Larval Life of the Catfish. I can't imagine devoting your life to such a thing, but I'm sure she would say I can't imagine devoting your life to things I devote my life to. So to each their own. Catfish. Fun. Rachel intended to pursue a PhD in marine biology, but unfortunately the Great Depression reduced funding for grad schools at the time. So graduate programs were like critically underfunded, you know, because the Great Depression. And Rachel was not from like a wealthy family. She was an average person. So she was forced to leave school. And on the suggestion of her professor from back at the Pennsylvania College for Women, Mary Sk Skinker, Skinker, um, who was the professor who converted her into a biology major. Rachel took the federal service exam in the category of biology, and she was hired by the U.S. Borough of Fisheries in Washington, D.C. Yet another reason to love a lady. Yes, we love to see it. Using her writing skills from her youth, she was tasked with writing 52 programs for the radio about marine animals. So like all her skills coming together, we love to see it. At this time, she was also employed as a freelance writer for newspapers for supplemental income. And after her father's death, she became the primary breadwinner for her family, which included her two nieces who live with her because her sister died. So she was taking care of a lot of people. We love Rachel. 
She was eventually promoted to editor-in-chief of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Commission and managed all publications for the department. In her spare time, Rachel began writing her own pamphlets and books about the natural resources and natural world, conservation, and aquatic life. In 1952, she left her government position to focus full-time on her own writing. The goal of her writing was to show people the beauty of the natural world and to show that humans had the power to damage nature irreversibly, which at the time was a very hot take and not something people thought about. Humans kind of saw themselves as a part of the natural world and that it was affecting them, not that they were affecting it. So it was a very hot take that Rachel was like, hold up, we're affecting the natural world, not the other way around. And one of Rachel's main concerns was the use of pesticides in post-war America. So after World War II, there was this huge population boom and farming changed substantially. And it's something you can read and learn about. But for our purposes, all you need to know is more mouths to feed. And so science to make it easier and cheaper to produce lots more food. And what they did was they developed pesticides, which super basic level, they kill the bugs so that you can grow more crops without crops being eaten by bugs. And in 1962, Rachel published her most famous work, Silent Spring, criticizing the use of detrimental chemical pesticides such as DDT. And so if you've ever heard the song Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell, when she says, hey, farmer, farmer, put away your DDT. I don't care about spots on my apples. Leave me the birds and the bees. She's referencing this pesticide. This book was attacked by chemical manufacturers and agriculturalists who attempted to discredit Rachel's work and say that this was a great innovation that was helping the growth of plants and helping feed people. And they really greenwashed it and made it sound like it was this great fabulous, totally safe for the earth thing. But not only was it not safe for the earth, it was making humans sick. (laughs) So we love when corporate America is like, hey, it's totally chill, but really they're poisoning people. A year later, Rachel testified in front of Congress about the damages that pesticides were causing to the natural world and the wildlife in it. And In 1964, Congress passed the Wilderness Act, which protected wildlife. The crazy thing is, in the last years of her life, like starting from about 1960, Rachel was battling breast cancer actively. Like she was getting treatment for it. She had a mastectomy. Like she was actively battling breast cancer and still doing all this work. She still pursued her passion and fought to protect the planet despite her own personal journey. And she was incredibly strong. Sadly, she passed away in 1964 at the age of only 57, and her work continues to inspire people to study and protect nature. It is truly a shame that even today, some people still try to discredit her work or ignore the warnings that she gave. It's been 57 years since she passed away, yet her world is still impacted by the same crises that Rachel warned about in her writing. It might not exactly be DDT, but there are all sorts of other threats to our natural world. I'll include some uplifting things, though. So some positive things about her legacy that I thought were nice to hear about. The Girl Scouts of Western Pennsylvania has a special badge that is only for people in their council, and it's created in Rachel's honor. It's called a Legacy of Conservation, and it requires the girls to both study like the history of Rachel Carson and explore their own impact on the environment. So it's like a history environmentalist badge, which I would have eaten up as a kid, but I am not from Western Pennsylvania. I'm from Eastern Pennsylvania, so I didn't get to get this badge. There is also a nature reserve called the Spring House outside of Pittsburgh, and it's named in Rachel's honor. And it was saved from developers because it's like home to some rare birds. And so then they were like, we should call it the Spring House after Silent Spring for Rachel Carson. 
Many scholars, conservationists, and naturalists continue to be inspired by Rachel every day, and she truly has left a lasting legacy. Check out the further learning videos, which include some clips both of Rachel talking and of people talking about how Rachel inspired them. And there's also a musical piece that was composed to her writing. So it's like a choir singing her words. Rachel sounded the alarm more than half a century ago. Let's heed her warning and do something today. Oh, and climate justice is racial justice. Thank you. loved how you ended the and these are good things that happen positive note because that was me the whole time just every time I think about sustainability and also researching this well I'm presenting telling a story tall tale of Izatu Chessy and just my usual I am so sorry for mispronouncing names and places I don't trust my googling of uh how do I pronounce insert here all the websites gave me different things. Uh, we're talking about the Gambia area and even websites that were the Gambia words and names still gave me different things. So I'm just a big whole heap and sorry. Jumping right on in, I'm talking about the queen of recycling, activist and social entrepreneur, Izato Chessy. And howdy doodah does she live up to the name queen of recycling. And yes, she's still alive, so I have Alana's voice in the back of my head about telling the story of, of living ladies is very weird, and I haven't done it in a while. So hold on to your handles, brace for impact. Not really, because this is a great story. As a young child, she would use a woven basket. I'm putting the woven basket here because you guys can't see it, but I'm holding a woven basket. That's what you would use to carry goods to and from the market. But when it broke, she found a plastic bag and started to use that instead. And she noted that she liked how strong and light it was at the same time. And I, I totally agree with this. Like looking for backpacks, I don't want the actual bag to be heavy. And that's something that she like really like thought was novel of a plastic bag. And this also became a trend, not just for her, but in the Gambia in general, that thousands and thousands of plastic bags were used because they were easy to carry, easy to just roll up and like put somewhere, but then they would carry a lot and they would last a while. However, plastic bags didn't necessarily get reused of or disposed of properly. They're simply thrown on the ground, which caused a lot of problems. One description I read is that the, they would fill up with water and if like also if there's like any like rain that washed other gunk, it'd be caught in the plastic bags. And then you get swarm of like animals and bugs, which was like not great because if the bugs or animals carry diseases, you just didn't want that on the sidewalk. We are walking to the market literally on like your daily route. So what did she do? She found a way to cut the plastic bags into long strips so then she could use them as weaving material. And not just to use like weaving material just for making bags that she could carry and use for work. She also made dolls and other types of toys. So this weaving material was very universal, kind of like a knit or a crochet to hold up things, make it a little more difficult. She was born around like, I think it was 1972. 
So we're thinking of like 70s, 80s, 90s time. Women were not allowed to work in the Gambia. So this was like a very secretive movement. She slowly began to share like her process of weaving and taking like the string that she'd make from plastic, how to weave it into squares or weaving it into the bags in general with other women in the area and join her efforts in battling plastic bag waste. And as this grew, she started the Najao Recycling and Income Generation Group, which had more than 100 women working for the organization to like go this process of reducing plastic waste. And she initiated like another recycling movement called One Plastic Bag in the Gambia, which their website is freaking fantastic. I spent hours on it. And through the start of this movement, she was able to educate women in the Gambia and I've been saying the Gambia. So like, let me tell you where it is geographically. It's a country in West Africa that is kind of engulfed or surrounded by Senegal. And then you also have like the ocean, Google a map. Also the website has a beautiful map and description of what the Gambia is. Again, this website's amazing. It is of course in the show notes. And then this also, as the organization grew, it was how like to recycle plastic and products that they could sell for an income and also just fair trade in general. And I can't hype this website enough because they have different tabs on how to get involved, how to get involved, not just like how to donate, but how to educate yourself and then how to educate others. Like they have a tab for teachers and students. They even have a picture book called One Plastic Bag that I, I'm going to buy for myself to read to my cat, to read to Robert, maybe on a Patreon episode, or if you're seven bucks, you see a monthly live, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I love picture books. We'll read some. And then also just how they are doing as an organization in general, which brings me to the most recently, she actually won the 2020 Inspiration Award for the Gambia's Women's Chamber of Commerce. And that's huge. And there's a great photo of her getting the award. And it's just snaps all around. Like I was so impressed. Like I've heard of this one plastic bag movement before, but I didn't realize just how big it was. And also I used to have one of these bags. If it's like the same thing, I had a plastic bag because like Lexi with her grandmother doing Earth Day at her school, like our middle school and elementary school did something very similar. And I remember getting this kind of trove of fair trade and eco-friendly goodies. It was kind of like a goodie bag to get us jammed up. And one of them was like a little woven bag that looks very similar to the ones on these websites. I hope I, hope I can find it. I, I really want to find it. I think it. several other like organizations started doing something similar. Yes. Because I have one there used to be a store in my hometown that was like ethically sourced, like ethically labor sourced items. And the one I have had a note that it was, it was made by a woman artisan in India, but it was a really similar concept, like looks slightly different, more square, but it's not, yeah, it's not the first. I don't, I couldn't find that it was the first, but it was certainly not the last concept of taking plastic waste and making it. I also had one out of like recycled aluminum cans like the coke yeah. and fanta bottles it's just trendy fantastic. every yeah. 2008 preteen who likes sustainability owned that bag oh I think I even had like a belt 
I, I had a belt so that was a seatbelt. <laughs> Am I cool? Was I cool in 2008? You're still My cool. mom currently has a bag made out of seatbelts. That doesn't really fit cool. me anymore. I would keep it, but it fit my prepubescent body, not my current body. That's okay. Bodies change and we love our bodies no more, no less. We just love them. I'm right, glad I don't look more. like a 12 year old, but it's fine. <laughs> Stop. I still look like a 12 year old. No, you do not. You have an adult face. I have an adult face. That's true. It's what gets me into the clubs. Petra Kelly was born Petra Karen, K-A-R-I-N, Lehman, on November 29th, 1947, a Sagittarius, just like Lexi, in Bavaria, Germany. But she moved to the United States when she was 12 after her mother married an officer in the American army. This is also where she becomes Petra Kelly because her stepfather's last name was Kelly. Fun fact for us as radio people is she had a radio show about current events in high school. She studied political science at American University, which we as GW alum might have feelings about. Negative feelings. Negative feelings about. For context, there's this really ridiculous rivalry between American and GW. I don't know why. It's like we all just wish we were Georgetown and so we're being mad at it's, each other instead the of proximity. Georgetown. You have to have a local school that you have. I don't even want to be Georgetown. Rivalry. I just hate both of them. <laughs> the inexplicable DC rivalry, yeah, and we all just have to have love it. and worship and wish we were Howard. There's in, <laughs> that's my, there's in my Ubi class two girls. One was from Georgetown, one was from American, and I just wanted to ask them why come to my land, one the Smithsonian, to the territory of GW. Where was I? Uh, she became politically active on the anti-war, anti-nuclear, civil rights, and feminism fronts, and she even volunteered on Robert Kennedy's presidential campaign in 1968. So really living live the D.C. life. And she graduated cum laude in 1970 and returned to West Germany. Petri's environmentalism was possibly spurred by the death of her half-sister, Grace. She died of eye cancer when she was very young and probably caused by environmental pollution. After getting a master's from the University of Amsterdam, she helped found the De Grunien, I don't speak German, in 1979, which was Germany's first Green Party, and which Petra described as a, quote, nonviolent, ecological, and basic democratic anti-war coalition of parliamentary and extra-parliamentary grassroots-oriented forces. The party gained traction in Germany and it forced other European parties to put environmentalism on their platform and so like brought it to the forefront of European politics. In her public speeches, she connected nonviolence and ecology and feminism and human rights and she was really into like civil disobedience and was often participating in that kind of stuff. Uh, at the time of her death, she had fallen out with her Green Party and was focused on Tibet and the nuclear crisis there that was in the 90s. There was all this post, like, nuclear waste kind of issues uh, in Tibet. I'm not sure. I'm sure there still are because that shit lasts forever. But that was where Petra's heart lay until she died in 1992. Speaking of, this part has a trigger warning for gun violence, and it's also my last point. So maybe just skip to the end for our teaser of next week's episode, or if you want to be surprised, you can turn it off now. I don't blame you. It's fine. In 1992, in October of 1992, she was found shot dead next to her partner, Gert Bastian, who was also shot. 
It's possible that this was a double murder. That's kind of what the conspiracy theorists think. But the current consensus is that Gert killed Petra and then himself. We don't really know why. That is a story for a true crime podcast, which we are not. It's kind of a wild turn the story takes that it just kind of ends in a murder-suicide slash maybe. Yeah, that's horrible. Not a good place to leave it. But anyway, environmentalism. We love it. Be green. You can find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode, as well as our merch, will be available on ladyhistorypod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or follow us on Patreon. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at LexiBDraws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, we're going to talk about some women who actively harm society. Welcome to Lady History, the podcast where we're slowly becoming our mothers. (laughs) Guess what? We're on Patreon. Tears start at just $1 a month. And we have three of them. Become a brilliant backer for $1. Find out early about new merch and ticketed events and get access to our monthly newsletter. Support our show by becoming a confident contributor for $4 a month. In addition to the benefits from the previous tier, you get access to our Discord community and one bonus episode every Sunday. Or lastly, prove that you love us the most by becoming a sensational superfan for $7. In addition to the benefits from the previous tiers, get access to a monthly interactive live stream with one of us and get the power to decide future Lady History content by voting. Join our community and help us keep the show running at patreon.com slash ladyhistorypod. Woohoo, we did it.